Alrighty, shalom everybody, and welcome to this week's Torah portion teaching. Now, uh, this week we technically do not have a Parshish, but usually at the end of the year, during the time of Sukkot, we end up going through the Parshish uh, Vezot HaBracha, or this is the blessing. And this, uh, sadly, is not on the schedule for this for this year. And uh, next week we got Parshish Bereshit, or Bereshit, if you are of the uh, Sephardi persuasion. And so next week we'll be going over that. And uh, I wanted to give an announcement to everybody. Um, first of all, as many of you guys know, I started a new job. Uh, with this new job, I'm uh, doing better, <laughs> as a matter of fact, which is great. And the thing with that is that I've been thinking about when we start the Parshiot over again, and many of you guys are familiar with the um, with the study that it is that we do each week and how it is we haven't done it the past two weeks, I'm thinking about do, starting it back up next week. But I'm actually thinking about a change in terms of this. Okay, Now we have several people from all over the world who go and attend the study using the Zoom app. Now, with this broadcast right over here, we are using um, Be Live is what it is that we're using for this. Now, I'm looking at two different ideas here. And one of the things I want you guys to do is to give me a little bit of input, send me a private message with your input on this. Um, I'm thinking about either uh, going and doing the Be Live so that it is that you guys can see it live whenever we do the study on Friday nights. And you can also attend it and send it to your friends saying, hey, check it out. I'm doing this study on Friday. You can watch it live as well. Um, and we can also, you know, invite people to be a part of the broadcast as well. And you guys, you know, of course, can be a part of it. But um, and so we're looking at possibly using the be live for that as opposed to the Zoom or for $40 more what I can do. And I'm totally willing to do it. Um, I can go and uh, have the Zoom set up to where it is that it will broadcast live through social media as well, okay? So I want you guys to think about that and, and let me know if it is that if either one of those, what you think would be the best idea, would be easiest for you to attend the study. And if you're interested in the study, make sure to go and send me a private message now you know, one of the things is that I would hate to have to pay the extra $40 a month, but at the same time, also at the same time, you know, people have gotten accustomed to us using Zoom. So it's it's, it's like I, I kind of worry. It's like, oh, if I switch them over to be live, will they, you know, be upset with me over that? So that's one of the things that, uh, that uh, you know, kind of uh, I'm unsure about. So that's, you know, one of the things that we got coming up. And also with that, I'm going to be, um, I have just rejoined Torah Club. I've done Torah Club four times as a matter, or no, three times already as a matter of fact. And this will be my fourth. Uh, the first two years, I ended up going through the Shadows of the Messiah. Then the next year, I went through the Chronicles of the Messiah. And then I got the books for the, um, uh, as opposed to, to the leaflets. You remember when they used to send out the, the binders and all that stuff? Now they got it in the book form of Shadows of the Messiah. And so I got the Chronicles of the Messiah in the book form and and also Shadows. And I also have the Shadows in the uh, in the folders as well. But uh, I'm, we're going to be starting with that of Depths of the Torah 
this coming year. And um, I'm going to be using that a great deal for these teachings for that of the um, for the uh, um, studies and all that stuff stuff. So, you know, uh, that's just one thing to, to keep to keep in mind. If you guys are wondering what, you know, some of the texts are that we rely upon, we, we, we honestly rely on a lot of texts. You know, we look at Rebbe Nachman stuff. We'll be looking through the Gudnik Chomish, you know, and all that stuff. We've also looked at the things from the Baal Shem Tov as well as the uh, Stone Edition Tanakh. We've gone and looked at the things with um, Rashi and the Rambam, you know, and all those things. We've been doing this for about a good 10 years, you know, uh, doing these Torah portion teachings. And so, you know, the thing about it, though, is that I'm constantly collecting texts, constantly collecting resources to kind of help us along you know, and to um, to help us always have something fresh to speak about each and every single year, as opposed to <clears throat> regurgitating the stuff from previous years. And so, you know, that's uh, a little bit into my mindset there. Also, make sure to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. Absolutely free. We have both the video versions and the MP3 versions um, that you can get on iTunes absolutely free. Uh, by going into your podcast app and typing in Brutal Planet, you can go and subscribe absolutely free. We also take these archives and we put them up on uh, Vimeo and YouTube. The reason why we put them on Vimeo is because it looks a whole lot better, and plus you get the option to download as well. We like the fact that it is that you guys can download these things, burn them on CDs, take them where it is that you, uh, you give them to people and all that stuff. We, we like being able to do that. Um, and you can also go to our website as well which I will pop up on the screen right over here, which is lapidjudaism.com. Now, right over there, we have just uh, loaded up, as a matter of fact, the, um, the uh, radio uh, player over there for Yeshiva Radio. Um, I think in the past two days, we added like 50 to 60 new teachings. And basically, with the amount of teachings that we have in there that are not just from me, but also several other scholars as well, you you will not hear the same thing for at least three weeks. <laughs> so go to the front page of lapidjudaism.com and you can go and uh, uh, go and can, uh, listen there, or you can uh, check it out on the uh, on the TuneIn Radio app as well. So tons of cool stuff, tons of cool of announcements. Let's go ahead and get started. But before it is that we get started, let's go into prayer. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, Master of the universe, who has sanctified us in the words of your Torah, Father. I ask, Father, that you be with each and every single one of us here today as we go and we complete the Torah, Father, and that uh, everybody that is watching this is having an awesome and amazing sukkah. And if they uh, have not made their way to their sukkah event yet, I ask, Father, that you be with them and that you encourage them and that you... Uh, Help them to be an or Lagoim father to uh, the people that it is that they come in contact with. And we ask these things, we pray these they, these things in Yeshua's holy name. Amen. All right. Now what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be uh, reading this from the Gunek Homish. And what we're going to do is when the on-demand goes up, there's actually going to be slides for the things that it is that we are quoting from here. So um let us know if you want us to go and send you the on-demand as soon as we get that up. Probably late tonight or early tomorrow morning is when it is that we should have those things up. But we're going to be starting out in uh, the book of Davarim, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 5. And it says here, reading from the Golden Chomish, it says, 
Whenever the people gathered as a numerous group with the tribes of Israel together, they always accepted God's rulership. So he was king in, in, uh, in Yeshurun, and he wished to bless them. And then it goes into the blessings um, soon after this. In fact, the very next verse, verse 6, Hashem goes into the blessings of blessing the uh, tribes of Israel. Now, one of the reasons why it is that I bring this up in this particular verse is because we, there, there was a movement that was very popular for quite some time, and then it kind of died down. It kind of uh, 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 diminished, and then it's and sadly, it's starting to build itself back up again. And it's this idea known as two-house ideology or the two-house movement. It's also known as the Ephraimite bloodline or Ephraimite identity movement. Many people will go and source Ezekiel chapter 30, uh, 33, verses 17 through 19, as a proof text for that of two-house ideology. But however, the entire crux of the two-house ideology is based upon a falsity. It's based upon the idea that the Jews were only one tribe, okay? And we can find that this is in grave error in several different places all throughout the Bible, where we see that, first of all, we have Rav Shaul, who is not uh, from the tribe of Judah, went and called himself a Jew. We also see within that of the book of uh, Esther, uh, where it says that Mordechai was from the tribe of Benjamin, and that he was a Jew. And so the thing is that what, what happens is, there's this idea that comes from nowhere in Scripture that uh, people that are a part of the church that start to keep a little bit of the Torah, uh, keep maybe four extra mitzvahs or something, that, that that is an indication that they are a part of these lost ten tribes. And so the thing is that they all ultimately end up getting into this whole idea of the lost ten tribes, and they have to diminish all history, both religious and secular, to make their case. Okay, and so the thing is that this is something that has, uh, um, you know, really uh, taken root because it makes people feel like, you know, that they, you know, are a part of something. So I understand the psychological effect of this. I really do. But there's also and so you might say to yourself, you know, Christopher, there's, you know, why does it matter? Why, you know, why should this be an issue? Well, it's an issue because of the fact that what happens is that first of all, attached to this are two things that are highly, um, highly destructive. First of all, the first one is bloodline ideology and this idea of racial identity. We've heard many teachers go and say that um, that considering that they were born um, in this country or that country, or they are from this area or that area, that they are a part of the uh, tribes, and they many will even say, well, I am a part of the, this particular tribe. And uh, people just sit there and say, okay, cool. And then, you know, one such individual who, who did this, I remember he was teaching over in Statesville one time at a little congregation of maybe about 15 people over there. And <laughs> he came over there and he, he, he went on and on about how, considering he was born at this particular place, that he was a Cohen. That he was apparently a Cohen. And then uh, he goes in, and halfway through his sermon, he sits there and he goes, you know, I don't understand why those Jews uh, don't eat meat and dairy together. I don't understand why they won't eat a, eat a, eat a hamburger. You know, and I'm just saying to myself, oh, this is just goofy. This is just goofy. 
And so, you know, with that, you get a lot of uh, that. And you also get a lot of what is called um, one Torah theology. Now, they're going to take a verse that is found within the book of, of Shamos, the book of Exodus, where it says, uh, one law shall there be for you and for the foreign born and so on and so forth. But they don't read the previous verse that says that no uncircumcised may partake of the Pesach. It's like that verse that just doesn't exist. And so they, they deny this idea of that there are levels of observance, you know, which are outlined as well within that of Acts chapter 15. This is where you start. You know, you go and you read the books of uh, or the letters of Paul, as a matter of fact, and he goes and he's talking with all these people that are of, you know, uh, different parts of the body that are in different regions that have different struggles that it is that they deal with, that maybe they cannot do a complete Jewish observance because of the fact of secular law that is in place over there, you know, most particularly Rome and Galatia and several of these other places. Um, there was this issue. And then you have all the other external things that we find to be an issue with the Corinthians and where it is that they came from. And so the entire one Torah theology is something that has attached itself to the two house ideology. And both of these things are highly destructive. And, you know, the way that a person should go about fulfilling mitzvahs is that, first of all, what they need to do is realize, you know, if you're in first grade, you're in first grade. You know, don't try and do advanced algebra. You work your way up to it. It takes time, you know, and we can see this, you know, through history by understanding the fact that during the time of Yeshua, they were on a three-year Torah cycle as opposed to the one-year Torah cycle that we have now. Also, at the same time, that when you go and you break that down, in each of the one-year Torah cycles that it is that we go through uh, each and every single year, the thing is that on average, you'll have 12 mitzvahs, 12 commandments that are given each and every single week. Now, that's a lot to take in and to understand fully each and every single week, you know, especially if you have a family, a job, you know, and all of these things. You know, if you're a basic human being, that's, you know, that's going to be something that's going to be problematic for you. But the fact is that during the time of that three-year cycle, each and every single person would learn 3.3 mitzvahs each and every single week. On average, if we go and we take the mean of all of that and, you know, go and, you know, do the math, that's one of the things that it is that we um, that we see. And so the thing with that is that also at the same time, not every single mitzvah is for each and every single person. You know, that's something that also we have to put in. There's there's uh, there's mitzvos and hokim and mishpatim for that of choanim as well as for that of farmers and for that of women, for that of men, you know, and so on. So on average, a person in terms of what it is that they're having to learn for themselves is on average about 1.3 mitzvahs each and every single week. They spend that entire week going and learning the, 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 the mitzvahs, all the things surrounding it, its history, its application, its halakha, all of these things, and that is much more doable. And so this is the way that it is. That, they, that these things were done during that time. And so, you know, we see that, first of all, that is a whole lot less stressful. <laughs> that is a whole lot less uh, confusion that can creep its way in. When a person goes through that, and in today's modern day times, we have the levels of, uh, of the gear, of the gear, you know, that follows the path of Abraham. How it is that Abraham started out as an Ivri, also known as a Hebrew, what is a Hebrew? A Hebrew is a person 
who has broken down a spiritual barrier and has gone and accepted that, first of all, that Hashem is the creator of the universe. A a Hebrew is not tied to any mitzvahs. Okay, not yet. Then, as soon as that happens, they then become what is referred to in two different uh, – by by two two different phrases. One is a B'nai Noach, or they can be called a Ger Now, the difference within this is that if they are in a Jewish community, then they are considered a Ger ger Sedek – or or not a Ger Sedek, a Ger Toshav rather. Ger Toshav, Ger Sedek comes later. But a Ger Toshav, what it is that they do is they keep seven mitzvahs. And they learn to do them lishma Hashem, for the sake of Hashem, as opposed to lishma HaTarah, for the sake of the Torah, and definitely not for the sake of self. They learn the mitzvahs and apply it for the sake of Hashem. And then it is that they, as soon as they are able to do that, and as soon as their hearts are softened, then what happens is they then can go and start uh, to become a Gersetic. Now, a Gersetic goes and starts to... It's also known as a righteous Gentile, and what they do is they start to apply mitzvahs short, uh, you know, uh, uh, very slowly. They 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 start to apply it, and they start to apply it in the realms of halacha. Okay, so that's you know the way that it is that it has been done for quite some time, but however, it didn't have the labeling that it has now. You know, up until probably about. I want to say it was around the the fifth century or so when these labels actually kind of came about. And in in Acts chapter 15, we see an early form of the laws of B'nai Noach there. So that's important to understand. But let us go and circle back around to our initial point as to this entire idea that, first of all, it is all the tribes that are considered Jewish, not just one. This right here is from the Lavabacher Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Snerson, and uh, he wrote this in the year 5743. Okay, we are in the year 5779 right now, but this is what he wrote, you know, 55 plus years ago. He says, verse five, which we had read earlier, speaks of Jewish unity, Achdus, the tribes of Israel together, a level. Which is a which in fact higher than Jewish brotherly love, which is Ahavas Yisrael. Even when you fulfill the commandment of love your fellow like you love yourself, as we see in Vaikra or Leviticus 19:18, there uh, uh, there never nevertheless remains two separate entities, your fellow and yourself. But when Akidus is is achieved. All Jewish people come together as one single entity, the tribes of Israel together. Nevertheless, the Torah did not mandate an explicit commandment that the Jewish people reach the state of Achidus because Achidus is a direct consequence of the inevitable uh, progression of loving one's fellow of one loves himself. In fact, these two stages are, are in, um, indicated by the Alter Rebbe and the Tanya First, he writes that one should love every Jew individually by virtue, the souls they possess, since you know the greatness and the and the uh, exaltedness in their root and their source in the living God. And when one progresses to uh, progresses to appreciate how the Jews are unified as one single single entity, since they all have one Father, 
This theme of Jewish unity is especially stressed in Simchas Torah, which the Parsha is read a, uh, a time when Jews express the connection to the Torah, not through study in which everyone, everyone is on a different level, but rather by dancing with their feet with all Jews when all Jews are equal. Now, the thing about this, this entire idea of Simchas HaTorah is joy, uh, joyfulness within that of the Torah. And that's, you know, in many ways, considering that that is the, this is the last Parshas within that of the Torah, the thing about that in many ways that we see that it's also connected with Parshas Bediyeshi is how it is that we go and we sometimes go and read the, the two together at the same time, starting out at the end and then starting at the beginning. Considering that the very last letter in the Torah, in this Parshas, is the letter Lev, or I'm sorry, the, the letter Lamed. And then the very first letter within that of the Torah is the Beit, which creates the letter Lev, heart. The entire Torah is encapsulated within that of Simcha, joy, Ahavat, love, and Shalom, peace. That is what the entire Torah must be encased in and surrounded in, and this is how it is that we must fulfill mitzvahs is through these things, as opposed to seeing things as, you know, instructions coming towards us to put a table together, you know, or putting together a stereo, you know, kind of reminds me of the movie Beetlejuice where he's like stereo instructions. You know, we mustn't read the Torah and apply it in such a way. Chashvi Shalom, God forbid. And so the thing is that a person will even look at the words of the Rebbe here and they will say, okay, well, you know, I will accept the fact that first of all, that all the tribes are Jewish. But however, we have this issue with, you know, them being lost. Well, the thing is that we have to go to first of all, religious history that is found within that of the Talmud, the Tosefta, and several other Jew Jewish books as well as the words of Josephus as well. Now within this, it is heavily documented by both religious and secular sources showing that, uh, that uh, after the time of the, of the Babylonian exile, all the tribes had come back to Israel, had all come back. And what happened was that so much time had passed that they all assimilated into the tribe of Judah. Now, there were certain ones that had very few that ended up showing up. That one is, is known as Ephraim. Ephraim did not uh, decide they wanted to come back. And so, therefore, this is the reason why it is that in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, I always find it funny that people say, well, you know, I'm Ephraim, you know, and all that stuff, you know. You know, I'm the one who's going to, you know, but we see that in Revelation, uh, Ephraim got the boot. Why in the heck would you want to make the claim that you're Ephraim? I, I, I don't understand that because they got the boot. And this entire theology as well is also wrapped up within that of Brit Tadashah. There is a, uh, a story within that of the book of Yohanan, the book of John, chapter 4. And within there, we have the famous story of the woman of the, at the well. And within that story, 
we have to understand what the Samaritan woman was. The Samaritan woman, the Samaritans believed that, first of all, that we don't worship Hashem in Jerusalem, that instead that he, he is to be worshipped in Gerizim. They had their own temple over there. They did all of their own things. They had their own halakha that was different from that of the established halakha from that of those within that of Israel, okay? Those who were a part of the Jewish community. Now, the thing is that we know of the two parshiot, as we've mentioned often on this program, Parshas Shoftim and Mishpatim, that tells us to listen and do the rulings of the Sanhedrin or the penalty of death in terms of halakha. Well, the Samaritans didn't want to do that. They said, uh, you know, they had the Frank Sinatra complex. I'm going to do it my way. You know, that's that was the complex they had. You know, they were big Sinatra fans. <laughs> and so what happens is this woman is over there, you know, and Yeshua is asking her for water and all this other stuff. And then, you know, they have a little bit of a back and forth, you know, and he kind of shows her some of her issues and all that stuff. And then he goes and he says, you people worship what it is that you don't know. We Jews worship what it is that we do know. For salvation is of the Jews. This is straight from the mouth of the Messiah. In John chapter 4, verse 22. Straight from his mouth. This is why it is that he also stresses in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, to do as it is that the Pharisees say. Why? Because of the fact that they held on to halakha. Now, within this two-house movement that we have today, they are very much the same as the Samaritans and the Sadducees. This idea of let me make up my own halakha, let me go and you know say that the earth is flat, uh, that, uh, that marijuana is a cure-all for everything, and that uh, you have to say the name of Yabadabadu in order to be saved. This is very goofy, very foreign stuff. These people cannot agree on anything. You know, whenever it is that you go to, a, you know, a two-house conference, you see that, first of all, they can't agree on the four-letter name of God, whether to say it, whether or not say it, or how to say it. The same is true with the Messiah, because they, none of them know Hebrew. None of them are Jewish. Or they may, have one, they may have at one point been Jewish, but then they were secular Jews, you know, all throughout that of their, their life. And then they say, hey, you know, there's a little bit of money to be made in this uh, Hebrew roots movement, you know, and so they you know, go and uh, go that route. And so the thing about, though, is that this is one of the things that causes the mitzvahs here of being amachad, one people, causes it to not be able to be fulfilled. Okay, now the thing about it, though, is that how is it that we should go about dealing with things like the two-house movement, the Hebrew roots movement, and many of the different factions that are within that of the messianic faith as well as christianity in order to uh to to restore the cohesiveness that it says that it is that we must have first of all many of us will will think that it is that we go and quote scripture all day long and put them in memes to prove our point now the thing about it though is that first of all you know Scripture is our basis for everything. Scripture is our foundation. But let's say that it is that I decide to take Galatians 2, 19 through 21, stick that into a meme, and without any sort of context, and basically, I could go and make a point that the Torah of Hashem is done away with, though that it is that that is not essentially 
what it is that Rav Shaul says. And we have this concept within that of the Torah, which is called Shevi'im Panim Latara, the 70 faces of the Torah. And the same is true with Brit Tadashab, and even probably even more so. Why? Because of the fact that, first of all, you know, we don't have a, uh, you know, the uh, the believers in Yeshua did not even, you know, go and write a Talmud. You know, well, the closest that we have is Derache. We have, we, ha we, 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 we have that. But we have to, you know, go and find those parallels from that of early Jewish sources, such as Talmud, Tosefta, Mishnah, all these things. And then, you know, put them in alignment with Brit Tadashab. Aside from... You know, my team with the uh, Rabbinic Gospels Project, nobody has done this, sadly. And, and this is scary that nobody has done this, and it needs to be done. And uh, there needs to be somebody other than just me going and doing this, in all honesty. But, you know, the thing about it, though, is that in many ways we think that, you know, that we have to get into intellectual debates. We need to intellectualize somebody to agree with us. I say, chashvi shalom, God forbid. Instead, this is what it is that I that that I say that it is that we need to do with this, that first of all, we are going to disagree with people in the Hebrew Roots Movement. We are going to disagree with people in the Messianic faith. We're going to disagree with people in Christianity. But at the same time, first of all, we have to come together in Shalom. We have to do that. We have to do that. Sometimes it's not about being right. Sometimes it's about Shalom. And I used this metaphor with a friend of mine just the other day, as a matter of fact. I said to myself, you know, whenever I go and I make my coffee, you know, I make my coffee in the French press. I love the French press. I go and I make my coffee in the French press, and I go and I boil the water, and then I go and I take my coffee beans, I put them in the grinder and all that stuff. I grind them up. Then I go and I scoop them out and put them into the water. Now, first of all, you don't have the coffee beans and the grounds going and fighting with the water, saying, hey, 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 water, I got it out for you. That's not what the, what the coffee beans or the coffee grounds are doing. The coffee grounds are coffee grounds. They act as coffee grounds. The water is water. It acts as water. They are not working against the one another. They're not trying to fight one another. They're not trying to go against one another. But however, what happens is they come together in the coffee grounds, then go and they influence the water. And then what happens is you go and you push that little plunger down after four minutes on that of your French press. You pour it into a cup and guess what? You got coffee now. And so in many ways, that it, that's how it is that we should honestly be. Instead of, you know, trying to intellectualize people to see things the way that it is that we see them, what we should be doing instead <coughs> is being that influence, being that good influence and saying, you know, this is who I am. This is this is the cat that I am. You know, I'm the guy that, you know, goes and does this, you know, and so on and so forth. Don't be bragging about it. But however, you know, be that or Lagoin. you know, whenever, it, you know, that that light to the nations and when we are that light to the nations. The light itself goes and disperses darkness. Now, I'm not saying that people, you know, that are a part of the Messianic faith, the Hebrew Roots Movement, or Christianity are in darkness. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, though, however, is that, you know, in order to have to fulfill this mitzvah of coming together, because one of the biggest um, commandments that we have within that of Leviticus 23 is that you will have a holy convocation. You know, when it talks about these Moedim, that you will have a holy convocation. That's a very important thing. And it's something that we often, you know, just ignore. We don't pay attention to that. You know, we have, you know, our egos tend, tend to get in the way. And that's a huge problem. But this also has very much prophetical 
influence as well. And if you guys have any questions or anything, make sure to go and put them in. We'll be wrapping up here in a little bit. So make sure to go and get your questions or statements or arguments right in there. And we will make sure to address them after I give this quote here. This right here is from the Mishnah Torah, from Halachot Melechim, uh, 12.3. It says, in the days of the King Messiah, when his kingdom is established, and all of Israel are gathered into it, the ancestry of each one of them will be confirmed by Messiah, through the Holy Spirit, which will rest upon him, as it is written. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And he will first purify the children of Levi and say, uh, this one has priestly ancestry and this one has Levitical ancestry. And he will disqualify from priesthood any who are not descended from Israel. As it is written in the book of Ezra, chapter 2, verse 63, the governor said to them, that they should not eat from the most holy things until the priest stood up with umim and thumim. And from this you shall learn that those uh, presumed to be of certain lineage will be confirmed, and those with established lineages will be announced by the Holy Spirit. And he will not merely establish ancestry of Israel, but from each tribe. He will announce that this one is from such and such a tribe, and this one from such and such a tribe. That's what it says in the Mishnah Torah. And so, you know, with this entire thing, you know, uh, let, let me go ahead and tell you guys. Many of you are out there going and getting, you know, these uh, blood tests and all that other stuff from these different Hebrew Roots organizations and saying, you know, we're going to find out, you know, what tribe it is that, that, that you're from. Now, I want you to think about this logically. Think about this logically. And also from the standpoint of Halakha here, what it is that we just read in the Mishnah Torah. First of all, that within that of the Torah Shevik Tav, the written Torah, it tells us that first of all, that if a person marries outside of the tribe, they've lost their lineage. Okay, so that's a huge problem right there. And so you have the two house movement going and saying that the people in the uh, in the uh, uh, in the churches are a part of the last ten tribes. Okay. Well, the issue with that is that first of all, that would mean that first of all, they never knew this. And so, therefore, somehow they all mystically, you know, ended up starting to marry inside the tribe. It didn't even know it. And nobody ever had an illegitimate child. Nobody ever, you know, slept with a woman, you know, um, outside of marriage, you know, uh, that was from a different tribe and all that stuff. I mean, there would have to be a lot of coincidences, you know, that span for over 2,000 years if this were the case. Over 2,000 years. And so there's a huge issue with that whole idea. First, first of all, don't be taken for a ride, a ride on this. And this is why it is that Judaism, well, certain sects of Judaism, not all sects, really encourage conversion. Now, the question then becomes, does everybody need to convert? God forbid. I, I converted because of the fact I was able to. When I converted uh, close to 10 years ago, when I did it, you know, at the time I, I had a, uh, um, I was having a hard time finding work for about a year. And, but at the same time, so that, that put a lot of extra time on my hands, a lot of stress as well, but also a lot of extra time on my hands. And the thing about those that, you know, I'm not married 
you know, I, I wasn't dating at the time, you know, and all this stuff. So, you know, the thing about it though is that I was, you know, open and free to go and, you know, sit on my on my rabbi's floor for four hours arguing with him every day and, you know, and, you know, midrashing and all these things. This is not something that everybody can do and not everybody's meant to do it. You know, all throughout that of, of Brett Tadashav, we see how it is that, you know, even a person who is a B'nai Noach or Ger Toshav or Ger Sedek or as as Rav Shaul goes, says, B'nai Avraham, a son of Abraham, how they are all part of Israel. And the thing about it is that some people will go and say, well, you know, the, 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 the Gentiles are not a part of Israel. And I say chash shalom in terms of that. You need to learn your Hebrew. When it comes to Gentiles, you have three different words that can relate to Gentile. And they are all very different. Okay, you have the nochri. The nochri are basically the worst of the worst. These are the people that would go and uh, go and uh, sacrifice their children to idols and then go and fornicate on the idols. This is what the nochri were. I mean, these were the sickest of the sickest heathens. Then you had the goyim. You know, which also can also be translated to nations as well. And in many ways, it's kind of a euphemism in many ways because they are very much secularist and a part of the nations. So you have them as well. Now, with them, they are basically your secularists. That's what the Goyim are. They're, they're, they're secularists. But then you have the Ger. We mentioned the Ger Toshav and the Ger Sedek earlier. Now, these are Gentiles who have you know, acknowledge that, first of all, that Hashem is the creator of heaven and earth. These are people that have, you know, gone and, you know, accepted this very, very fact. It's a part of their life. They live for that of Hashem. They may not be at the same level of observance, but I will tell you that, first of all, even our Christian brethren are under the flag of Gerim. I may disagree with them on many different things, but let me tell you something. There's going to be more of them in the Machut HaShemayim, in the kingdom of heaven, than it is that many people realize. That's the honest to goodness truth. Because salvation does not come through the Torah. That's important to understand. That is so important to understand. The two-house movement thinks salvation comes through the Torah. Chashvi Shalom, it does not. Instead, salvation comes from that of the Mashiach. Comes from that of the Mashiach. In fact, it even says within that of Tadashi Abiyah within that of the written Torah, it says that the goal of the Torah is Mashiach and Shalom. Those are the two goals of the Torah, Mashiach and Shalom. Well, let me tell you something. Our Christian brethren have actually gone and reached that. Whether or not it is that they keep kosher it has nothing to do with their salvation. Whether or not it is that they do, do the Shabbos has nothing to do with, with their salvation. Now, as you guys know, I was trained as a as a Hasidic Jew within that of Breslev. I got my conversion through that of Breslev. I got my ordination through through Bre Breslev. And I'm also, you know, um, a Lapid Jewish Jewish rabbi. I'm heavily rabbinical in my own observance and, you know, in following halakha. The thing about this thing I could tell you is that my observance is not for everybody. It's not. For me, it fits great. Why? Because of the fact that it is that I am on the autism spectrum. I have Asperger's syndrome. So having the routine that it is that I have by doing shakrit, doing minka, you know, and then, you know, having to do the things that it is that I have to do for the moedim and so on and so forth are things that help me to connect with God.
you know, when I, when I was studying this entire idea, you know, here's a prime example of this is whenever it is that I was studying the entire idea of the three pillars that is written within that Kabbalah, within that the Zohar and all this stuff and how this relates to, uh, to God, the father, how the refers to that of the Holy Spirit, how it refers to that of Yeshua. It made, uh, I, it was, I, I thought my head was like going to explode until I, you know, sat there and mapped it out in the Sephirot. I was able to see it and I was sitting up there going, oh, okay, I get it now. I get it now. And I understand what the Maharal was meaning in terms of, you know, the middle pillar of the Sephirot and what it is that talks about within that Zohar, the middle pillar of the Sephirot. I got it, you know, and so my brain works differently than most people. Each and every single one of you have your very own Nishmat Chaim. You have your very own divine spark. The only thing, the thing within you that God has made unique. It's a part of himself that he has put within you. It could be within your talents. It could be within that of the things that it is that you study and that you really connect with. It could be within that of certain attributes of your observance or what have you. There is something that God has given you that is unique from everybody else. The thing is that I don't want anybody to conform to that, to you know, say, you know, I really like the cut of Rabbi Christopher's jib. I want to be like him. You should never do that. You should never do that. The fact is that, you know, in terms of your observance and finding out who it is that you are, it's understanding that you are a unique individual. Don't let somebody go and say that you need to become somebody else. When I first started out in radio, there was this uh, uh, radio station that I was a part of. And I was always, you know, I was known as the rock and roll rabbi. Still am today, as a matter of fact. And uh, the fact is that, uh, you know, that's a part of who I, who, who I am. It's a part of my personality. And, um, well, you know, the thing with that is that um, they wanted me to be like this teacher or that teacher. They say you need to have the same cadence, you know, and all that. So I'm going to say, that's not me. I can't do that. That'd be dishonest. Can't be dishonest with my listeners. Let's see. Hannah goes and says, is Sukkot a holiday with a large number of animals slaughtered? Of uh, uh, animals slaughtered during Passover? If so, why? It, it uh, you know, in terms of that, in terms of in terms of Sukkot, yes. Um, you know, during during the time of the uh, Bayis Hagmikdash, the Holy Temple, there were indeed a lot of animals slaughtered, and a lot of this had to do with sealing the atonement that came from that of, of Yom Kippur. And also with that is that uh, many of these off many of these um, animals were offerings in terms of what is seen as a wedding to that of the Creator. As we go back to what happened um, in Parshas Yisro, when it is that we have the um, the Shekinah kind of uh, operating as that of a chupa over that over the children of Israel over uh, Mount Sinai and all of these things. These were major parts of the uh, festival of Silcus is going and remembering those things. And so with that, you have the offerings for the wedding and as well as the sealment of that of, of Yom Kippur as well. Great, great question. Great question. Do we have any other questions here before it is that we wrap up? I'm going to get a sip of my drink here. And then um, if we don't have any more questions or statements or anybody wants to argue with me, I'm going to wish you guys Shalom Bracha, if not.
also guys um while i wait to see if anybody has any other questions make sure to uh to go to um make sure to go to the links that are above in the description over here so you can subscribe to us on you know uh go and check out the uh, the uh the podcast page for the radio show and also go and check out the um uh the these videos after they're nice and cleaned up up on Vimeo and and YouTube and all those places and all that stuff so make sure to go and uh check that out as well um let's see here uh i'm not seeing i'm not seeing uh Lanny's thing in the list over here but it is showing up on my phone. Let me see if I need to scroll down here. Oh, here it is. Okay, we'll go and pull up his question here. Uh, Yeshua did away with animal sacrifices. Okay, some people have made that claim, uh, Lanny, but the fact is that we see within that of the book of Yeshiyahu, the book of Isaiah, as well as within that of the book of Yeheskel, Ezekiel says that within the millennial reign, in the in the in the messianic kingdom we will be doing animal sacrifices the reason why it is that we don't have animal sacrifices right now is because of the fact we don't have a bayis hak mikdash uh let's see josie asks how do you convert well first of all you have to be a part of a jewish community for a very long period of time you have to be trusted by that of the community at large there's many people who go and say i want to convert and they you know, expect something like a Sunday school class or something like that. And, and it's, and it's a real commitment. It's, it's a real investment, not only for you, but also a, a, an investment for the rabbi who's in charge of it. So if you have been a part of maybe a community at Breslev or Chabad or a conservative Jewish synagogue or a reform or an Orthodox one or what have you, and you're, you know, you've been there for several years, you're in good with everybody. They know that you're not you know, there to uh, to rock the boat or anything like that. And if they find that, first of all, that you have, um, uh, that it's a part of your nishmat chaim, that that's what it is that you're meant to do, then chances are they will go and approach you about the whole thing if it is that, you know, several different other aspects fall into place. Um, certain people, you know, are not able to do it because of the fact they may be married, because of the fact they have children. You know, this it's a huge investment. It really is. And so luckily for me, you know, it was one of those things that I really wasn't even wanting to do, but they approached me about it and they said, um, they said, Christopher, have you ever thought about converting? I said, no. They said, well, you get to learn a little bit more. And I go, oh, well, that was, that was like the carrot being dangled in front of me. And so, you know, with that, I jumped on it and the same thing happened when they asked me about if I wanted to be ordained as well. <laughs> and so, you know, that's uh, that whole thing. All right. Well, I guess that's everybody's questions. Uh, I want to thank all of you guys for joining us here today. Make sure to go and check us out on demand at all the uh, various uh, links that we have above over there. And uh, this episode should be up probably late tonight or early tomorrow morning. And I wish each and every single one of you shalom brocha. And thanks for the wonderful questions. And uh, let me know, guys, if you want to do either if you guys want to be involved in the uh, Friday night study next Friday. For Parshish Bereshis or Bereshit. All right. Shalom, Brocha. Peace and a blessing. Shalom. So, you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic or maybe both? 
make sure to check out HebrewAndAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step -step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.